Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Logo Centric. My name is Daxton Page, and today we are going to be talking about George Floyd and the protests and riots that have been happening since his death. Now, I want to start by saying I think everybody is in mutual agreement that his death was absolutely tragic and inhumane and unwarranted in every way. Even if the autopsy results prove that it wasn't directly his uh, neck being suppressed by that, um, that killed him, it doesn't matter. Because the fact that his knee, that officer's knee was on his neck for that long and that none of those fellow officers did anything is absolutely unacceptable. And rightfully so, all four of these officers have been charged. The main one, Derek Chauvin, has been charged with second-degree manslaughter. And everybody else has been charged with aiding and abetting second-degree manslaughter. So I think we got justice from a legal sense, but... The public doesn't seem to think so, apparently. So we've had lots of riots that have erupted since his death. The main one happened in Minneapolis, where the incident occurred. Now, this makes sense because that's where the incident happened. So the community is obviously outraged at what happened. Um, there was one that broke out in a neighbor's, uh, neighboring city, I believe it was St. Paul. Um, the, these riots sort of devolved. Um, I, you know, I say riots because if there were peaceful protesters they had been completely drowned out. Absolutely. Especially by the media. That's another thing, too. I think the media plays a big role in sort of making this way worse than it has to be. Because what happens, at least what I've noticed over these incidents that have happened with people like Michael Brown um, in Ferguson, um, there's been tons of other incidents just like this where riots and protests have erupted right afterwards. Now, I think this one was unique in the sense of how it went across the nation. Seriously, we went from Minneapolis all the way to you know Ohio, and then we went down to California, and there's been some in Dallas, and it's Florida. There's all over the country, there have been protests. Now, I have seen lots of evidence of peaceful protesting, and I've actually loved seeing that footage. There's been footage of the officers putting down their weapons and saying, hey, we're going to march with you. I think that was great. I saw footage of everybody kneeling together. I thought that was a great little kind of sign of solidarity between the protesters and the officers. So there has been videos of people coming together even during these kind of times of protest where even the protesters and the officers are on the same side of like, hey, if people start breaking shit and start looting, we're going to take care of them, help distinguish yourself from them so we can just get them and not get any peaceful protesters because officers can't tell the difference between a peaceful, a peaceful protester and a non-peaceful protester when there's chaos all around. Right. And so if everybody's on the same page of like, hey, and I've seen videos where this is what they've communicated, where they've said, hey, if you see people acting like this, separate yourself from them and let us know. So that way we don't get anybody that's a peaceful protester and you let us know so we can get it neutralized. Right. So I think this has been sort of even though we've been seeing the worst of people through these uh, protests and riots, I think we've also seen the best of people as well. So I don't think we should be entirely too pessimistic when looking at this entire situation, even though there has been tons and tons of destruction that have been occurring because of the riots, not necessarily the protests. Those protests that remain peaceful, that's a great thing. You're exercising your constitutional rights. Now, we're going to go and talk into the validity of all that kind of stuff in the future, but either way, I want to put... I want to put it out there now. If you're exercising your constitutional right, even in like even if I disagree with the reason you're protesting, which I'm not saying I entirely disagree with protesting what happened to George Floyd, like I said in the beginning, 
tragic. Everybody's on the same page on that point. But I think when you start protesting and things start going kind of south, there's a lot of riots that start to break out and there's no enforcement from the protesters. And here's something I also need to point out that has been proven and it's sort of been kind of glossed over or minimized. Listen, Antifa has infiltrated these, they've, they've, infiltrated, they've infiltrated these protests. And so what happens is you have people that are not part of Black Lives Matter who are breaking and vandalizing shit. And there's even been videos of people like, hey, don't do that. And they're like, we're doing this for you. It's like, oh yeah, sure you are, right? And so there has been video evidence of people like, or groups like Antifa getting involved in these protests to try and just cause anarchy, right? But there's also been evidence of people just from the protests being angry and looting targets and things like that. That's not entirely Antifa. So I think it's important to be honest with, yes, there have been people who have been manipulating and infiltrating these protests to cause chaos, but we can't act like it's just been those outside agents that have been the 100% result of all the chaos and that all the protesters are good, all the rioters are just on these crazy fringe, you know, groups and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't think we can just say that so simplistically. It has been a mixed bag of protesters who have just been completely in, you know, engulfed in rage and stuff like that. And so they go and they loot a store and stuff like that. Now, some people are just taking advantage. They're not even from Antifa. They're not part of Black Lives Matter. They're just people taking advantage of the fact that they're sort of free of consequences for the moment. At least they think they are, even though most of the stuff's being filmed. So you're not exactly out of the woodworks when it comes to that. Anywho, people think of it as an opportunistic time to, oh, I'm going to go grab three TVs, you know? And so there's always going to be people like that. When a riot breaks out, they're not part of any sort of militia or specialized group. They're just there to take advantage. So I think we need to be very open about the fact that all three or four of these types of rioters and protesters have existed. It's not just that, One's a conspiracy theory and one's the case and whatever. It's a mixed bag between the two. We've seen results of from Antifa causing destruction. I mean, I'm sorry, why would Black Lives Matter put a hammer and sickle on the side of a building? That just doesn't sound like something that's in the agenda of Black Lives Matter, but it does sound like something, excuse me, that's in the agenda of Antifa. So we've seen stuff like that, but we've also seen people who were not in Antifa looting stores, burning stuff down. So it's very important to, you know, okay, well, if it's not just these far left, far right extremist groups that are getting involved, why would normal people be turning to this types of behavior? Like, well, we talked about the opportunistic people, right? We talked about those things, but really it comes down to how these people were raised and how they view the system at large. And like I said, the media plays a big part in that. It, it, it turns into this, well, if I'm not gonna do the research myself to figure out exactly what's going on, because I'm so involved in my day-to-day -day activities that I don't have time to do it, I'm gonna rely on you know, condensed, low-resolution news sites like Fox, CNN, MSNBC, CBS, and all this kind of stuff, right? And so you get this very one-sided, very filtered, very, I would say, magnified version of problems. I think this, is one of been, this has been one of the big issues with social media and you know, old news media getting involved in social media is this, you know, the headline on the article, but then you click on the article and there's content inside that article that contradicts the title. So they're just begging, they're hoping, don't click on the article, just think the title's good enough and that you can just keep scrolling. And then that little image you have of the scenario that they've painted using this article title 
It's low resolution, but they want you to believe that because it fits a certain narrative, right? So this has been the certain issue that has been just sort of creeping, uh, it's just been kind of creeping underneath our culture, waiting to get brought back up. And I think these protests were essentially the culmination of that ideology had a chance now to just just rise up from underneath and and take to the streets. And we've seen, the reason I'm talking about the ideology now is because when, when you see things like, okay, we're doing this because we're trying to avenge the death of George Floyd, but in a sense, we're going to burn down businesses even if they're black. And I've had black friends who have said, well, they have insurance, so they'll basically, they'll be um, okay being, what would you call it, pawns for the, for the greater good. So sorry about you, but in the greater scheme of things, this is bigger than you, so tough shit. That's essentially what I was told, and I'm like, this is very strange that there's like, uh, you know, hi, white guy, um, defending black business owners, and then you have people who are part of Black Lives Matter who are themselves black saying that they don't care about those people. But it's like, in the name of your organization, it says that you do. And so that's why I'm very, very skeptical of the particular movement in the organization Black Lives Matter. Maybe not necessarily the movement, but just the organization, right? Because I'm totally for the idea that Black Lives Matter and we should value black lives just like we value all lives. I think this is sort of a, this is a non-starter because at least to me, I grew up in the South and I've known stuff like this since like elementary school and and before. Like I've, I've always been around people of different colors and sexual orientations. So none of this stuff made much sense to me when everyone's like, well, this is such a huge problem. It's like, well, I'm sure there's spots where people are still stuck in their ways because like most people know, intolerance, bigotry, racism, all that stuff is taught. I'm talking about the ideology because it seems that in the name Black Lives Matter, you figure, oh, we care about all black lives. But then when black business owners are losing their businesses and their lives work that they've been putting into these businesses and they're being destroyed in the name of the greater good, I just don't see how that's an acceptable position. But yet these are things that are regularly being pushed by Black Lives Matter and the in the organizations that support Black Lives Matter. And so I think we need to be very cautious to say, yes, Black Lives Matter, but I do not support the organization Black Lives Matter because I believe they use that title as a misnomer, right? I think the term misnomer is one of the most important terms in the English language that we should have like really embedded into our psyche when we were in school because it's used against us so many times. Like, do you remember Parks and Recreation, right? You remember that show? Remember there was that group, The Reasonableists? If you haven't seen the show, it's like, oh, The Reasonableists? That's a, they must be a reasonable group of people. Well, it's actually, they're not. They're actually a bunch of crazy cult people that think there's gonna be a, Dino- not a dinosaur, but a creature, like Godzilla-like creature that's going to come back and kill us all, right? Oh, on June 6th, he's going to come back and kill us. And then it doesn't happen. So, oh, oh, I'm sorry. The, the book actually said July 6th. So maybe we can push it back a month, right? But they called themselves the reasonableists because if you challenged them, it made it sound like you were questioning reasonable people. Now, this analogy, I think, applies to so much of modern politics. People are like, the movement is Black Lives Matter. It's like, okay, that's a great name, but we need to figure out if your name's not just a misnomer so that you can get away with other political activities that don't support the title of your organization, which is what you boast about 
you know, the, this is the meaning of the whole organization is Black Lives Matter. And it's really, the evidence has shown it's Black Lives Matter when I can use it as a political weapon to get votes. Like, I'm sorry if that upsets you, but the fact of the matter is, this happens every four years. Why does it happen every four years when black people are dying throughout the year, not just every four years, but every day black people are dying? And Black Lives Matter is completely silent on that. And to me, that's a glaring hypocrisy that no one is addressing. No one's addressing, but everyone's gonna hashtag Black Lives Matter because they wanna feel like they're part of a movement, right? And so this is, again, why I focus on the ideology is because that is what takes people who were just angry at something that was obviously tragic and turning them into mouthpieces and mascots for an ideology I don't think they completely understand. Um, and it's not their fault they don't understand it. It's obfuscation to the highest degree. I mean, this is like postmodern, you know, this is like, this is a postmodern Candyland right now as far as the linguist, uh, the linguistics of all this is concerned, right? And so Black Lives Matter seems to be a misnomer because they only care about the black lives that they can use for publicity and exploitation. As far as I'm concerned, that is very anti-black. That is manipulation of black people and trying to use something that happens negatively to them for political and maybe financial gain. I'm not exactly sure, but I mean, I know people that are willing to donate to these organizations, so you could say it's financial gain, so whatever. So we have this ideology. Now, what is the call to action from the ideology? Now, the call to action that we've seen is defund the police. That's been a really big one, defund the police. Now, I'm gonna pop up a meme on the screen that I saw that came through my Facebook feed. And it's, it attempts to redefine, this is why I said this is like postmodern Candyland. It's defund the police does not mean defund the police. What? How does that not, wait, that, I don't know what you're saying. It's like you're not even, you're not speaking coherently. That's exactly what's going on with this. Right, and so defund the police. It doesn't mean defund the police. It means fund them a little less. Well, that's not defunding. That's, you know, re that's reallocating resources in a state budget, okay? When you say the phrase defund the police, it's such a vague phrase, this is where I get into the postmodernism again, that anybody can ascribe a meaning to it and it be somewhat valid. You could say defund the police means oh, I'm just gonna abolish all the, I'm defunding them completely. And you would be right, and you could say, oh, I'm not gonna defund them, I'm just gonna lower their funding very exponentially, maybe to the point of hindering the organization. Well, you would still be, quote unquote, under the guise of this meme and of this ideology, that would all still be just defunding the police. So I don't like this vague language that can be interpreted a bunch of different ways because here's what they use. They use language that can be interpreted to the best of intentions, but also simultaneously could be uh, interpreted for the worst of intentions. So what happens is you have people that are the mascots that are for the good intentions that come from it. And then you have people in the background that are benefiting from the bad intentions of it. So I think this whole defund the police thing is absolutely ridiculous. It's obfuscation, like I said. It's just trying to confuse people by saying, well, defund the police doesn't mean defund the police. What is? What are you trying to do? Now, some people are a little bit more honest and they actually say the words abolish the police. Now, that is some specific language. Now, 
I still don't agree with it, but at least you're being specific, right? At least you're pinpointing exactly what you're going to do and it's not vague, postmodern. Anybody can interpret the meaning because there is no meaning, but, you know, whatever. You know, at least some people are being honest and they're saying, we want to abolish the police. Now, again, I think this is a terrible idea because the people who are directly calling for the police's help, by and large, are black people and minorities. And this has been shown through books by like Heather McDonald, for instance. She has a book called The War on Cops. I'll put a link to that in the description. It's a great book that sort of outlines the people that need the help from the cops the most are the people that are being terrorized by gangs, right? And so who do you call when the gangs are terrorizing the neighborhood? You call another gang? Like, no, you call the cops because they got guns. They got big guns, right? And so... This whole idea that we want to abolish the police, I feel like that is a special interest objective, right? I don't think that objective represents the entirety of black people or the entirety of America. I think George Floyd's death is being exploited blatantly, like we're not going to be able to just look for our eye, like look for ourselves, use our eyes and our senses to see that this is wrong. This is absolutely ridiculous. George Floyd was all about unity and they're preaching you know, privilege and fragility and all this kind of divisive ideology, George Floyd would have been for none of this. Now, I'm not saying George Floyd is a martyr or a hero. I definitely, you know, I'm glad his family is getting justice, right? These people are going to jail for what they did. But the fact his death is being used to push forward ideologies like defund the police and white fragility. Now, again, it's so funny. As a white person, when I say... Ooh, white fragility it's stupid what happens is who is norm who are the people that are normally coming to me telling me that i'm a racist other white people and i have tons of black friends that come to me and they're like yeah this whole thing is stupid and I, it just it's so painfully ironic to me it's like you realize the only people calling me a racist are white people and nobody else is and anybody who's even disagreed with my presuppositions has never dissented to calling me a racist because I disagree with them. So it's like, who's pushing forth this ideology? Now, I think a lot of this ideology can be traced back to people like Peggy McIntosh, Robin DiAngelo, um, uh, Clara Thomas, I believe is her name, or Kamara, Kamara Jones? Ah, I don't have the list in front of me at the moment, but I'll put a little, uh, uh, little thing I've got here. So what we have here is we have this sort of dichotomy where we're viewing race and anti-racism through a particular prism. Now, what is going on here when we have, essentially racism is racist and anti-racism is also racist, but it's a little bit less, it's a less lesser form of racism. Um, what's, what? So for instance, you have race, let's say you have racism, you have systemic racism, right? So this is things like, police brutality, police profiling, right? Poverty, the education system, things of this nature. Now let's dissect this a little bit. As far as there being a widespread like epidemic or a sort of systemic route to officers disproportionately arresting black people, I don't think we can make these claims of systemic racism. Now here's what happens. Systemic racism is another one of those terms that is very vague, right? It could mean anything. 
And that's language we should be very, very suspicious of, is this language where, oh, it could mean this, it could mean this. So what do you, what do you mean specifically by this term? What is it? And when it's tried to you know, be defined specifically, all of a sudden the idea falls apart. But if it stays vague, so, oh, it could apply to this, and it could apply to this, and it could apply to this, now all of a sudden the idea seems like it's got some legs, but when you pinpoint specifically what's going on inside this idea, you can sort of break it down and go, oh, that is from this cause, that is from this cause, that is from this cause, it has nothing to do with race, and all of a sudden the whole, uh, it all falls apart, the veil falls down, right? And so let's do that a little bit. One of the common arguments that I hear is black people are overrepresented over in the prison system because they're only 13% of the population, but they make up a big chunk of the population of prisons. Well, yes, that is true, but it's also untrue because they are in, black people are in jail to the exact same proportion that they commit crimes. So unfortunately, black people are 13% of the population, yes, but they also commit 50% of those crimes. Right, and so I have statistics in the description for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Right, there's statistics and stuff that sort of back this claim up. So they make up 13% of the population, 50% of the crime. Okay, well, now here's something I don't want to be misinterpreted. I'm not saying that this statistical, we'll call it phenomena, is directly correlated to race. Right, I'm, I am not making that argument. Okay, now here, I, the reason I make that little disclaimer is because people like to assume if you think X, then you must think Y, Z, and everything else afterwards without wanting to actually clarify your position more specifically, right? And so I want to, because uh, what happens is if you question, this is the way the, ide the ideology has been sort of made on purpose, is if you question it, now you're suspicious because, well, if you question whether white fragility or white privilege is real, then that's just evidence that you're racist. And it's funny, this is like, um, I think this is pr uh, probability by falsification. I think I may have that wrong. But it's a sort of fallacy where it's an unprovable statement and you're using the fact that it's unprovable as evidence that it's proof. It's ridiculous. And if you break it down to the level of an analysis of the individual, the whole idea of white fragility and white privilege falls apart, right? Because it's not that privilege doesn't exist. Again, this is something we covered in the, the past episode about white privilege. It's not that privilege doesn't exist. It's that you cannot narrow all of the diverse privileges that people have within their lives and just shove it into the category of race. That in and of itself is a racist act because it's an attempt to ascribe to an entire community that is diverse within itself one unique characteristic, right? That's like the definition of stereotyping and profiling. So we should not fight discrimination with more discrimination. You don't fight profiling with more profiling. Just like you don't fight more sexism, you know, you don't fight sexism with more sexism, right? It's this, this whole idea that you don't, two wrongs don't make a right. And it's sort of a cliche and people say, oh, that's a platitude because it doesn't get anything done. It's like, that is ridiculous. I remember posting a status about these riots where I was like, not the protests, the riots. And I said, burning down businesses is not going to help the cause. It's looting. This is not a good idea. And I had people come to me and say, what has peaceful protesting ever done? 
I'm like, have you heard of the fucking Civil Rights Act of 1964 or the Voting Rights Act of 1965? It's, and honestly, here's the thing too. Those laws wouldn't have even been necessary if the Constitution, as it was written with the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, was just enforced in the South. We wouldn't even we wouldn't have even needed these laws. But because of the Democratic Jim Crow laws that existed in the South, we had to make the Civil Rights Act, right? But we got it, right? And we got it through peaceful protests, and we got it through sit-ins, the March on Washington, right? And our biggest champions of those movements were nonviolent, peaceful protesters like Martin Luther King, right? And so to say, what has he ever done? Or because I've seen people post memes that, what has MLK ever done? Like, Are you kidding me? Is this where we're at in our society where we're saying, what has MLK ever done? I remember growing up in school and thinking MLK was a hero. Like, where did it, where did everyone get off that track? What what grade did that happen? I don't remember that happening. Maybe it happens in college. Who knows? But this whole idea that peaceful protesting has never gotten us anywhere. And then we see conflations with things like the Boston Tea Party and the American Revolution. It's like we are trying to compare conditions that are absolutely not comparable. They're not comparable. I'll say it again. They're not comparable. People were owned as property during Jim, like, uh, not Jim Crow, during slavery, right? That was something that was worth fighting over, right? Because people were being owned as property and their individual rights were being suppressed. And there was one party that was pre preventing that and one party that was saying, no, we need to give those people individual rights. And so we had a war over it, right? These situations in 2020, are nowhere close to even a tenth of a percentile of that. Absolutely not. You want to talk about systemic racism? Go read the Nuremberg Laws. That's systemic racism. That's racism in the law, the system, right? You can draw a line from the system to the racist act. You could say, oh, the racist act is, is because of the system, because of this policy and this enforcement right here, boom. But instead, what we've done now is we've taken the system of police, you know, law enforcement in general, and you have one racist incident that happens over here, and we're trying to make that be representative of the entire system, when that's a complete falsehood. We cannot do that, right? Just like we, you cannot say, Derek Chauvin is representative of all cops, just like you can say, just like you cannot say that the riots are representative of all protesters, right? The argument goes both ways. But I saw somebody post it the other way. Somebody posted it in the reverse. They said, well, if a couple of bad rioters uh, delegitimizes the protest, well, what does that say about a few bad cops? It's like, no, 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 no. That's the opposite way we need to be thinking about this. A couple of bad cops do not delegitimize police force and law enforcement as a whole. Just like a few rioters do not delegitimize a whole peaceful protest. As long as the protest is peaceful, the only thing delegitimizing it is the protest itself, right? And then it's lack of enforcement of people who are turning it into a riot, right? That's what's going to delegitimize a protest. And so these ideas of systemic racism, that there is a and then here's what happens. Like I said, it's vague language. So when you try to make these specific points, I've had people say, oh, well, there's no specific law. I'm like, okay, then how can you say it's systemic? Because 
by definition, for it to be systemic, it would have to be enforced by some policy, some law, some clause, and some sub thing here that some enforce, some agent uh, agency is enforcing over here. But we can't find it because it's not there, right? There's there is no systemic effort to put black people or minorities in general into prison more often than white people specifically. That's an absolute myth. Right? It's been completely made up by using half of the statistics and telling you half of the story. They say 13% of the population, but X percent in the prisons. But they don't tell you that that percentage in the prisons matches exactly to the amount of crimes committed by that population. Right? So they're, okay, what happens there? Well, then you have people that just, they turn the blinders on. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to see it. And so you get people like this that share things like if you want to talk about X and basically disprove my claim, then unfriend me. I don't want to hear the truth. I only want to hear what is going to reinforce my ideology. And so I keep bringing this up. It's an ideology that's pushing this. Because what else would drive people to beg you kneel to me specifically because of your race, even though you're an innocent individual. As far as racial crimes, you've committed none, but I'm gonna make you kneel to me because you happen to not have the same amount of melanin in my skin. I'm not gonna do it. You could put a gun to my head. I'm not gonna do it. I kneel to no man. Just like no one should kneel to anybody. Now, if we kneel in solidarity together, we're all kneeling. That's something different, right? So kneeling can have the sort of good version. It can sort of have a bad version, right? The bad version is I make you kneel to me. That is subordinating somebody and making them in the position of inferior and another person in the position of superior, right? This is my whole idea against white privilege. White privilege assumes if you believe white privilege, you believe that by virtue of me being white, let's say, I am therefore more privileged and better than you in our society. It's like, that is so prejudicial. I would never assume that because of my skin color, I have an advantage over somebody. And that's when the people come out and they say, well, that's because you can't see the systemic oppression against them and it's invisible and you inherit your privilege and you can't see that. It's like, I know exactly where my family came from. And right, and so to sort of narrow everyone's experience into you are this color, therefore your life has been this. There is nothing more prejudicial than that. And the fact that it used to be done against black people and now we're using against everybody else is, is ridiculous. We're just transferring the same racist ideology in just a new guise. Why can't we let it go, right? It's because I think human beings at our core from an evolutionary perspective, and again, I'm not saying just because it happens in evolution that it's good, but we are tribal by nature. And I have said time and time again that racism is like a form of tribalism, right? And so the less tribal we can become, I'm almost positive the less racist we would become as a society. But the more tribal we become, the more I am in this group, you are in this group, that builds up the foundations for us to view each other as inferior and superior. Like Thomas Sowell said, I 
think that any process that ascribes superiority, equality, inferiority to any group of people will diminish freedom because it does not take into account the diversity that exists among human beings. Not just the diversity among people within a race category, but diversity among human beings as such, right? And so this whole idea of, well, we live in a uh, systemically racist society and therefore, if you deny it, that is just proof that not only are you racist, but you're weak, right? And that you're fragile. This is emotionally manipulative, right? They're trying to convince you to feel guilty for having a certain skin color. This is no different than racists of the South and the Democratic Party in the Ku Klux Klan saying that black people are inferior just because of the melanin in their skin. This is no different an argument. You don't beat the Ku Klux Klan by developing their same ideology, but then turning it around on them. You put forth a better ideology, right? You put forth a better set of ideas that undercuts the racism, the tribalism, and brings us all together. That's what we should be striving for. And that's what I think I've seen a lot of people do in these protests. Um, but there's definitely been a lot of chaos and destruction that's been unneeded that's been completely unneeded and people are saying that well that destruction is warranted because you're just a pawn for the greater good and as long as some greater good like defunding the police whatever vague definition that has you know you're just a pawn for that and so suck it up because you've got insurance they don't take into consideration that yes businesses may have insurance when this goes down but think about something if I'm a big chain, I've got lots of money. Yeah, I could just, you know, take the insurance money and rebuild the store in the same location. And it's like, oh, the Target's back, but it's a little bit newer now, right? Or I could just let that building, I could sell that building or just let it rot away, who knows? And I can go move to a different location that I know is not gonna get looted and there's not gonna be a riot that comes in and loot our stores. So what's gonna happen? I don't know, it's a little too early to tell, but there will be businesses that move. And by doing that, you destimulate that local economy. By destimulating that local economy, you hurt all the people living in that economy. And the people living in that economy, maybe black, maybe white, maybe Mexican, maybe Asian, doesn't matter. Those people are gonna be negatively affected by it. And if all black lives mattered, those people's voices would be heard too and they would be accounted for and they would be represented, but they're not. Um, the voices that are represented are the people who you know, there's been lots of cases where the police have unjustly killed black men and, and they were unarmed. In 2019, there were nine cases, right? But that's out of 40 million black people. So out of 40 million citizens, nine of them were killed. That's so many, that is such a small percentile. Now, all nine of those lives mattered but you didn't hear Black Lives Matter talking about them last year. They waited till right now because it was a political opportunity. And I think that is my fundamental issue with what's going on with this. And so I wanna end with a couple things. One, George Floyd's death was absolutely tragic and I'm glad all four officers are being charged. That being said, the protests that came from it, some were unifying. I saw protesters giving water bottles to the cops and trying to stimulate like, hey, we're all on the same side. We're fighting together for unity. But there has been tons of evidence of destruction, riots, and divisions, and local leaders letting it happen. 
And so I think the main thing that we can take away from this is if you were in a community that was ransacked by a riot and, it, and there was no defense of any of the property by the state at all, which is like one of its few things it should actually do is defend private property. And it did none of that and it just let a riot occur and it said, hey, get these police people out of here. Just whatever, whatever happens, happens. You should vote them out. Go to the voting, go to the voting booth and vote them out. Get competent leaders who have their heads on straight into positions of power. I think that's why we're in this position in the first place. We listen to people that throw slogans in our faces and crappy statistics that look good if you don't you don't analyze it further, right? And so when you don't dive deeper into the statistics that are brought to you and you take them at face value, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're allowing yourself to be manipulated. Um, Carl Jung once said, ideas, people don't have ideas, ideas have people, right? Now, whose ideas have you? Do you know whose ideas you're speaking, right? A lot of your ideas are just the words of dead philosophers, right? So whose philosophers' words are you speaking? Do you know? Do you know the consequences that have happened throughout history as a result of implementing those exact ideas that you're implementing right now? I think if we took some time to research, look at history, look at what collectivist thoughts and by the way, I call this collectivist because it's trying to diminish the value of an individual to their group identity instead of their individual identity. And the individual identity is more superior than the group identity. As far as I'm concerned, your group identity is one of the least interest it's one of the most least interesting things about you, right? Who you who you love? Okay, cool. Or what skin color you happen to be? Plays no, it plays no mind to me. What matters to me is the content of your character. Are you a good person? Are you nice? Are you humble, right? Are you, are, you know, there's different things. You know, I have some friends that are a little bit braggadocious, but they're still good people, right? They know that they're braggadocious. I say that just because it's a fun word to say. You know, they're a little bit, you know, kind of on their high horse, but they remain humble, right? And I respect people like that because they understand don't push this too far. Just have a little bit of fun with it, right? It's life have fun with it while you're here, right? But we don't need to push this whole idea that you're just a member of a group and just because you're a member that, of that group, I can attribute to you a characteristic and not just to you, I can attribute it to every person that shares that same group characteristic, right? This racist way of viewing people needs to stop. It's absolutely ridiculous. And so again, to end on this, we need to be focusing on putting forth ideas that bring us together and view everybody in the same light, right? Because I said, human beings by nature are tribal. That's what we do. If we're gonna have any chance of breaking this tension, we have to all become a part of the same tribe, right? And so we have to set forth ideas that make that possible. We don't all have to agree but we all have to be within the same framework of we're humans, we all have dignity as individuals, not just of members of a group like being straight, gay, or being black or white or whatever group characteristic you can attribute to somebody, whether it's you know intelligence, health, beauty, whatever. Any of these sort of domains that you can attribute as a group characteristic to someone should always be subordinate to who they are as a unique individual. I've seen people who have had really tough lives 
be told by their friends, you haven't had a tough life, or even if you think you've had a tough life, your life is way easier by comparison, and therefore we're gonna diminish your experience because of a group characteristic you happen to share. I think this is appalling, and this is not a way that we should view our friends, this is not a way we should view other human beings through this prism of, well, I'm either racist and I admit it, so, or I'm racist and I don't admit it and I'm weak and I'm fragile, which this is the idea of white fragility by Robin D'Angelo, who is a grifter. Let's just put that out there. She's a grifter. She holds workshops where you can, you know, become anti-racist, you know, and you can become woke, essentially. So she's trying to take your money because she's trying to make you feel terrible about yourself. She's trying to break you down so you can be built up by spending money at her workshops, right? So this whole idea of white fragility is a complete hoax, and Robin D'Angelo should be ashamed of herself. Peggy McIntosh, with her idea of white privilege, should be ashamed of herself. And the postmodern thinkers should be ashamed of themselves for allowing themselves to put forth a framework of ideas that allowed this nonsense to take place at all, right? So I'm gonna close out with that. If you enjoyed today's discussion, please leave a comment. What do you think about what's been going down in today's society with the riots and the protests and what happened to George Floyd? And what do you think about this idea of systemic racism, white fragility, white privilege? Drop all that in the comment section. Let's get a discussion going. Keep it civil as always. If you like content like this and you want to see more of it, hit the like button as well as the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell to be notified when new episodes like this come up. And I will see you guys on the next episode. I'm Logocentric. Thank you for watching. <laughs>